Let's turn in our Bibles now together to the book of Romans. We are in Romans chapter 16 this morning, and the concluding paragraph, verses 25 to 27. And as we come to the end of our time in Romans, there are two questions that I want us to ask and answer. The first question is this. What good has it done us to spend these last two years in the book of Romans? What has God done? What good has come from spending week after week and month after month for two years, give or take, in the book of Romans? And the second question is a similar one. What can we take from this study of Romans what can, we stay, what can we take with us from this study as we go forward? Now, there are literally dozens of answers that we could give to those two questions this morning. In fact, as I was preparing this, one of the things I was wishing was that we had time to just sort of go around the room and hear from each of you how God has used the book of Romans in your life over the last two years. But there is at least one answer to these two questions that Paul gives us in the final words of this great letter. Let me read those words for us, verses 25 to 27 of Romans 16. He says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. The simple answer to those two questions is this. We have been strengthened by the book of Romans over the last two years. And my hope is that as we conclude our time in Romans, we will come away from this book knowing more firmly and more certainly where our strength comes from. So as we think about the first question, how has God done us good through the book of Romans over the last two years? We can say, I think, without hesitation that he has strengthened us through this book. Thinking back over the last year, it was providential. It was a blessing that in the beginnings of The pandemic, with all the restrictions and isolation and uncertainty and anxiety that we found ourselves in Romans chapter 8. The most life-giving, assurance-building, hope-giving, soul-stirring chapter anywhere in the Bible. And it was fitting and helpful and good for us that after an unusually contentious election, We found ourselves in Romans 13, reminded that part of our worship 
of God in, in view of the mercy that He has shown us is to show honor to those who are in authority over us because they've been placed there by God. Also in a time when not only our country but many churches are increasingly divided, it was strengthening for us. It was unity building for us to find ourselves in Romans 14 and 15 where God reminded us that as long as we are united on the essentials, on the foundational truths of the scripture, that there are many things we can agree to disagree about and still be in harmony with one another. So God has strengthened us through this book in many ways. And my hope is that as we uh, leave our time in Romans behind, as it were, that we will walk away more firm in our conviction and understanding that God strengthens us through the gospel. Paul's answer to the question, who is able to strengthen you, is found in verse 27. In verse 25, he says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you, and if we say, well, who is that? He tells us in verse 27, it is the only wise God. It is God who is able to strengthen us. Paul is asking and answering the same question that was famously asked in the Psalms. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help Come, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. All throughout the Bible, the the Lord is called our strength. We are reminded that God is our strength. When God delivered Israel from the Egyptians through the Red Sea, they sang and worshipped the Lord saying, The Lord is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. This is my God. And I will praise Him, my Father's God, and I will exalt Him. David prayed in 1 Chronicles 16. He said, seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His presence continually. In Psalm 18, we're taught to pray, I love you, O Lord, my strength. Psalm 28 says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. In Him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exults and with my song I give thanks to Him. The Lord is the strength of His people. He is the saving refuge of His anointed. More famously in Psalm 46, we are taught to pray, God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in time of trouble. And in Psalm 73, we're reminded that our weakness meets God's strength. When the psalm says, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. God is our strength. God is the one who is able to strengthen us. And that is good news because we are weak. We often feel our weakness, but our weakness is always real. We are not as strong as God. We are not omnipotent or almighty. 
We are not made to face every trial and trouble on our own. We are not competent to face every need, every difficulty. We are in need of the God who is our strength and who is able to strengthen us. So the next question is, how does God strengthen his people? Paul says that he is able to strengthen you. But how does he strengthen you? Well, Paul's answer to that question is the same as the answer we find in Psalm 119.28. Where it says, my soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. The way that God strengthens us is the way he has strengthened us over these two years in this book. And that is he strengthens us through his word by reminding us what is true, by reminding us who he is, by reminding us what he has done. And that's why Paul says, to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and to the, and the preaching of Jesus Christ. The way God strengthens us is through his word and more specifically through the gospel of Jesus. Through the preaching of the good news of Jesus the Messiah. Now, the word gospel is a word that we ought to all be familiar with. We hear it often enough, right? But sometimes words we hear a lot and we're really familiar with, if somebody says, could you define that for me? We still kind of stumble over our words. Well, I, I know what it means, but how do I say it? The gospel is the good news that Jesus came to die and rise for sinners. So that everybody who believes in Jesus would be saved, have their sins forgiven, and be reconciled to God. It's the good news about what God has done for sinful people like us because He loved us in spite of our sin. It's the good news of what Jesus has accomplished for us. That he lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross, that he rose again, that he ascended into heaven, and that one day he's going to return for his church. It is that gospel that God strengthens us by. It is that gospel through which God gives us strength. And from the very beginning of this letter... From the very beginning of Romans, Paul has told us that this is what it's all about. He began the letter by saying, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. It's all there in the beginning. And then Paul fleshes it out throughout the letter. He spends most of chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3 reminding us, convincing us 
that we are sinners, hopelessly lost, apart from God doing something to save us. We can't save ourselves by keeping the law. We know that there's a God worthy of our worship and devotion, but by nature we turn away from Him, turn to other things, make gods out of things that God has made. None of us are able to do good and earn favor with God. And so then he says in chapter 3 and chapter 4 and chapter 5 that God has sent His Son into the world not only to pay the price for the forgiveness of our sins, but also to take upon Himself the wrath of God that our sins deserved so that there's now no condemnation for anybody who's in Christ Jesus. There are no sins that will be held against us if we are in Christ Jesus, but we have been pardoned from all. We have been counted righteous in Christ, not righteous of ourselves, but Jesus is righteous. And and when we trust Him, we become united with Him, we're connected with Him so that His righteousness becomes ours. And we are reconciled to God, though we were formerly His enemies. His own Spirit comes to dwell inside of us. This is the good news. This is what God has done for us. And it is this message that God gives us in order to strengthen us. But strengthened to do what? What do we need strength for? What do we need strength to do? Well, many things. We need strength to walk in newness of life rather than turn back to sin. So Paul calls us in Romans 6 to do this. He says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Take strength to do that. Takes strength to resist sin and instead give ourselves to God. He strengthens us so that we can resist our enemy's accusations. He says, God's not going to forgive you. You're not going to be pardoned. You're not going to be welcomed into God's presence. You have too much sin, too many mistakes. Too many times walking down that road. We need strength to resist the accusations of the enemy. So Paul reminds us in Romans 8.33, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? We sometimes are weak in faith. We have a hard time believing that God really loves us. And will always love us. We have a hard time standing against trials and tribulations. Most of us have not ever been in a situation where we thought that we would have to choose between being faithful to Christ and losing our lives or denying Him in order to preserve it. 
But when we have thought about those things, right, many of us have said, I, just, I can't imagine being in that situation. How, how would I respond? How would I react? Would I be faithful? I hope I would be faithful. How are we strengthened to be faithful in that situation? We're strengthened by words like these from Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Through the book of Romans, we are strengthened to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It's a lot easier to just be conformed to the world than to be transformed by the renewing of our minds and to give ourselves as living sacrifices to God. We're strengthened to live lives of love, even toward our enemies. One of the hardest things that Jesus calls us to do is to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. But that's what Paul calls us to do. We need strength to do these things. Strength to love our enemies. Strength to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. Strength to resist the accusations of the enemy. Strength to resist the temptation to give in to hardship and persecution. Strength to walk in newness of life rather than to walk in sin. So how are we strengthened to do do these things? Not merely by being told to do them. Paul tells us to do them. But he doesn't only tell us to do them. He gives us the truth of the gospel by which God strengthens us to do what he has called us to do, but we are too weak to do on our own. So, for example, when we are called to walk in newness of life and to resist the temptation to sin, how does Paul give us the words that God uses to strengthen us to walk in holiness rather than to walk in sin? He tells us something like this. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. In other words, when we face temptation, we face uh, trial, we face an opportunity where we have the choice to honor God and follow Christ or to give in to temptation and follow the world and we are weak and we need strength, how does God strengthen us? He says, remember your baptism. Remember when you were plunged under that water 
and raised up again. You were saying to the world that the old me who was captive to sin has been crucified with Christ. And the resurrected Jesus has given me new life. So I don't have to live in sin anymore. And that's not who I am anymore. So I'm not walking down that road again. My strength comes from the gospel. Or when we are called upon to love our enemies. Someone has hated us. Someone has persecuted us. Someone has harmed us. And the Bible says things like, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How do I do that? We draw strength from a truth like this in Romans chapter 5. For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. If we say, God, I don't know how I could possibly love that person, how you could expect me to love that person. They have treated me like dirt. They have harmed me. And God says, you did the same thing to me. But I loved you. I gave my son for you. I made you mine. I gave you new life. And you now have fellowship with me. What I'm asking you to do is to do for them something like what I've done for you. Remember what I have done for you. That you may be strengthened to do what I have called you. To do. So we are strengthened by God. God strengthens us through the gospel, through the preaching of Jesus Christ. And He strengthens us, He says, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings, has been made known to all nations. Now that's a mouthful. What is he saying? How are we strengthened by the mystery that has now been revealed? Well, first of all, what mystery is he talking about? What mystery has been revealed? What mystery was kept secret for long ages, but has now been made known? What is he talking about? Well, he's talking about the mystery of the gospel, and in particular, the truth that the gospel is not only for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. Paul has talked about this at length in Romans, and he talked about this in Ephesians 3 as well, that we read from earlier. Remember when he said, when you read this, This is Ephesians 3. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. What mystery are you talking about, Paul? This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. 
The mystery that has been revealed is that the gospel is not just for the Jews. The gospel is for all of us. That Christ came not only for the sons of Abraham, but so that all who believe would be counted as children of Abraham. He came for you and for me. He came that you and I might inherit the same promises made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Remember when Jesus healed, I think it was uh, the servant or maybe the son of a centurion. And the centurion uh, came to Jesus and he told him what was going on and what he needed. And and Jesus was getting ready to, to pack off and go with this man to bring healing to his house. And the man said, no, 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 you you don't have to come. I I work in the military. I know how authority works. I tell somebody to go, he goes. I tell somebody to come, he comes. Jesus, you just say the word. You've got the authority. You say it, and he'll be healed. And Jesus said, I've not seen faith like this anywhere in Israel. And let me tell you something. There's coming a time when people will come from east and west, meaning outside of Israel. People will come from east and west and recline at table in the kingdom with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. This is what Paul is saying. You and I, the mystery is that you and I, outsiders, unclean though we were, that we have now been welcomed into the kingdom of God, that we will one day sit down with Abraham at God's table in the kingdom and worship together and celebrate together and rejoice together because we have been saved by the same gospel, the same Savior in the same way. And that was not clear from the beginning. It was always there, but it wasn't made fully known until later. Notice what he says, that this mystery that was kept secret for a long time, he says in verse 26, has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations. Now here's a question for you. The prophetic writing has been around for a long time, right? The Old Testament prophets, those books are old. Why is Paul saying hundreds of years after those books were written, in some cases longer than that, that this mystery has been made known now, and it was made known through some really old books? If the books are really old, how come it hasn't been Known for a really long time. Well, the reason is that though these truths were hinted at, spoken of in the Old Testament, they were not clearly made known until Jesus came. It was not until after the death and resurrection of Jesus and Jesus giving the Spirit to His disciples, that it became clear what those prophets had been speaking of all along. Remember, Jesus met with His disciples even after His resurrection, and He said to them, 
everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms had to be fulfilled. It was written there that the Christ must suffer and die and be raised on the third day and that the gospel be preached beginning from Jerusalem. All of it was back there in the prophets. But it was not until Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures that they saw it there. It was not until Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus that he began to see it there. Paul was undoubtedly a master of the Old Testament scriptures before he met Jesus, but he didn't know what they meant. He didn't really know what they were about. It was not until he met Jesus that he could go into the synagogue and open the Old Testament scriptures and say, the Christ that we were promised is Jesus of Nazareth. It is not as though, as some people like to try to tell us, it is not as though the Bible is written in some sort of mysterious code that you need some sort of special secret in order to unlock. The secret is, Jesus is the Messiah. And once you know that Jesus is the Messiah, and that all the scriptures have been pointing to Him, all the scriptures begin to unfold for you. All the scriptures begin to make sense. All the scriptures begin to fit together in ways that you just can't see until you meet Jesus. Until you know that the whole book from start to finish is about Jesus. Just recently in Romans chapter 15, Paul has showed us with a series of quotations that even in the Old Testament, there were hints that one day the Gentiles would glorify God for His mercy. But we didn't know how that would happen or why that would happen. Why would the Gentiles want to glorify the God of Israel? Isn't He the God of Israel and not the God of the Gentiles? Jesus came to show oh, He's the God of Jews and Gentiles. He's the God with a plan from the beginning for salvation for Jews and Gentiles. Even the way He worked in the life of Abraham was so that both Jews and Gentiles could follow in Abraham's steps, trusting God's promise by faith and be counted righteous as Abraham was. It's all been there from the beginning. But only now, Paul says, can we really begin to understand it. And why was this mystery revealed? It's been made known to all nations, Paul says, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. God wants all the nations to hear. God wants all the nations to be summoned to believe the gospel so that they might display so that they might have the obedience of faith. Now what is that? That could mean a couple of different things. Both of them are true. The obedience of faith could refer to the obedience that flows from faith. That once you believe, then you begin to obey. Once you trust Jesus, then you begin to live a life where you follow Jesus and do what He says. But it's also true that in a sense... Faith is an act of obedience. 
Not, not in the sense that it's some kind of work that we have to do in order to earn our salvation as though we couldn't do enough good works to be saved. So God just gives us one work to do, to believe, and that, He'll count that work as though that's enough. Uh, that's not what we mean. But Jesus does come preaching, saying, repent and believe in the gospel. That's a command. It's not an option. So Paul goes out preaching the gospel in order to bring about the obedience of faith. Again, this is where the book started. In verses 4 and 5, he spoke of Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship. Why was Paul made an apostle? To bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. That's what God is up to. That's why God summoned Paul. That's why God sent Paul out. That's why Paul is eager to get to Rome and from Rome to go to Spain. Because God has said it's time for everybody to know that this is the way to be saved. This is the way to be reconciled with God our Creator. It is through the gift of His Son whom He sent into the world as a man to live and die and rise so that sin could be forgiven, so that the ungodly could be counted righteous, so that God could be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And what else can we say? For the book of Romans itself, for the gospel it unfolds in such fullness, for the privilege of knowing and hearing this mystery revealed, for the mercy of God given to us in Christ, for the wisdom of God in so ordering all things so that he might be just and the justifier of sinners like us who trust in Jesus, we say with Paul, to the only wise God. Be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray.